Hey, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. We're so glad to have each and every one of you here this morning. And uh, we're just excited for the next week just to talk about missions, hopefully expand your heart a little bit, see what uh, Living Word is doing around the world through our partners uh, who have answered the call to go into the world and, and just share the wonderful message of Christ. Uh, some of you ladies may have been here yesterday for Kirsten, who is in Eurasia, for our ladies brunch. Yeah, that was good. You can give that a hand. Yeah. Heard it was wonderful. We're so glad to have Jack and Pam Reisner with us here. Jack is a network regional relations uh, director for Convoy of Hope in our area in the Northeast. And Jack was a pastor for 41 years. So he is a seasoned man, full of wisdom. First service was fantastic. So I'm so glad you're here. And Jack works with Convoy of Hope. And you've heard of Convoy of Hope before because we partner with them as a church. And Convoy of Hope is an international compassion ministry and doing incredible things, not only here in the United States, but around the world. And I was first really introduced uh, to what they were doing in their specific areas of ministry when I was invited to go to Haiti and uh, just after the uh, earthquake in Haiti in 2010. And I was invited with some other pastors in New York to see what Convoy of Hope is doing in Haiti through a specifically a feeding program, feeding thousands of children a day. It was absolutely amazing. Uh, it was. Uh, it opened my eyes to see uh, just what a footprint Convoy of Hope has around the world. Uh, Convoy of Hope uh, came to our church during COVID, and we did a huge grocery giveaway. Uh, we had a huge 18-wheeler pull into our church with groceries, and we had to pack them all in 90-degree heat on a summer day. And we had over a 1,000 bags of groceries. And for those of you that may have helped with that, they were all in our gym. And uh, there you go. They found a picture. I'm somewhere in the middle of all that, completely exhausted. Um, but that's what it looked like when they came and were able just to bless our community through Convoy of Hope, to bless our community with groceries during, uh, during that time of COVID. So we're, uh, we just appreciate partnering with them so much. We took a missions trip with them to Puerto Rico a couple of years ago, and some of you are on that trip. And it was just a wonderful experience to see what God is doing in their midst. And the way they work is through compassion. And their leader, Hale Donaldson, has just an incredible testimony of how God laid this on his heart to start this ministry. And my prayer for you is for today and, and for this week that God would maybe give you just a new insight. Maybe God would do something unique in your heart about missions and what missions truly means and how you can be part of that. And we want you to partner with that. Missions is one of the core values, as Pastor Brandon mentioned, of our church. And I believe that a church that has its eye on the world is a church that it has a sensitivity to God and God's heart for this world. And I believe it's done through missions. And Jesus told us to go into all the world and to spread his wonderful message of what Christ did for this world. And we can do it in so many different ways. And one way that Convoy of Hope does it is through compassion ministries, whether it's the first ones on a site after a hurricane or some natural disaster here uh, in the United States or in the Ukraine, war-torn Ukraine, uh, they are doing an incredible job. And I am so glad that Jack is here to tell you and to give you an update of what God is doing 
through Convoy of Hope. So would you just give a warm welcome to Jack as he comes and shares the heart of Convoy. Thank you. Good morning. It is so good to be with you. We were able to spend some hours last night with Pastor Barton and Kathleen and Brandon and Brittany, and you've got, you've got some really strong, authentic, compassionate leaders. And so, hang on to them. I'm I'm just I'm just overwhelmed by your generosity already. As I've looked at the listing of of the people and organizations that you work through, your partners. So I see all those you support, and I've been looking at Jersey today. You also support the Buffalo Bills, it looks like. So, yeah. Uh, part of my early years in life were in Buffalo, so I'm with you. Absolutely. So last year, um, contemporary Christian artist Toby Mac contacted Convoy of Hope and said, Hey, I just released a song, and it reminds me of you guys. And you can listen to it, and if you want to, you can use it. We listened to it, and we said, yep, we're going to use it. And then we put video with it and sent it back to Toby Mac and said, we put video with it. And if you like it, you can use it. He said, yep, going to use it. (laughs) So here it is. So Hal Donaldson, the founder and president of Convoy of Hope, wanted Pam and I to be sure to tell you thank you for your compassion and for your extreme generosity through the years. And because of your generosity and others like you, we were able to respond to Hurricane Ian, and those are pictures from Hurricane Ian. And because of your help, and understand that the moment Convoy arrived on the scene, which was between the moment the hurricane first hit and then came back around, Convoy had been able to sneak in with his 26 vehicles and were ready to distribute what was needed there, over one and a half million pounds of supplies to 90,000 people. And to serve 21 communities hit hard with 1,200 volunteers from the local churches who took care of their neighbors. And you weren't there, but you were there. And so thank you for that. And, and, and last year, one of the other, one of the, the major challenges we faced, and, and it's still going on, is the war in Ukraine. And so Convoy arrived and began to work in Poland as soon as the refugees started coming out. And we've been able now to be in 18 countries where there are refugees coming. And now for the, for, for the first time, we've been able to go in, and it's happening right now, able to actually put up a warehouse in Ukraine in a, in a safe location. So we continue to take care of, of those people, having served 2.5 million people so far. And so thank you. Thank you for being involved in that. So to give you an idea what we're doing right now as they've gone into winter, take a peek at this. Winter is coming all across the northern hemisphere around the world, and many places around the world are not feeling it as much as in Ukraine, where power, water, heat, etc., some of the basic utilities are no longer accessible to so many families. We're responding today, here late in November, with container loads of thick winter clothing, of sleeping bags, of blankets, some of these items that families are most in need of. Thank you so much for your continued support uh, of our response to the war of Ukraine and in other countries around the world where we're serving these families that have sometimes just the clothes on their back as they leave their homes and try to relocate somewhere else. We so much appreciate your partnership.
So thank you for doing that. It is making a world of difference. And I got to tell you what's happening. Because most of this that, that's being distributed is happening through the local church. We have we have video of, of churches and, and mobs surrounding just needing supplies and resources and bombs falling around in, in, in close proximity, yet they will not leave because they are so desperate for supplies. And they are finding, as a result of the love they're, they're, they're feeling, that, that compassion, not just supplies, but compassion, that the churches now in Ukraine are filled to overflowing, and there is actually what they're calling a spiritual revival sweeping through Ukraine in the midst of a war because of your love and care for them. If you've ever been in that spot where you, you, you need help, you are out of resources or you're facing a challenge that you don't have the experience to, to handle, it, it, you're just desperate it is at that moment that you really need to sense that there's going to be some help that will get you out of this. Paul the Apostle wrote to the church in Ephesus to remind them that something was happening to them from the very moment they encountered Jesus. The very moment they began that walk. It may have been before they even said we put our faith in him, but they began to walk with him because walking with Jesus and coming into relationship with him is a journey. And as they walked that Paul the Apostle wrote to them and said, I want to tell you what God is doing inside of you through Jesus when that happens. And here's what he wrote. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. For we are, and literally the wording is this, for we are God's fabric, manufactured in Christ Jesus. Paul would tell them as time would go on, and even when he talked to the church in Corinth, he said, what God has done through Jesus is that Jesus is taking these, these qualities of God, these expressions of God that make him God, those, those parts of God that when people are in his presence, they cry out holy, because holy is the word that means other. I've never experienced anything like this because it's beyond this world. It is just amazing. And he takes that and he weaves it into you. How many of you have been following Jesus, walking with Jesus, investigating Jesus, or have put faith in Jesus? Raise your hand. Okay, you. He is weaving this into you even now. And these qualities are so dynamic and so explosive that there is no vanishing point to them, for they will last forever. And they are so, so dynamic that you cannot contain them in your own heart. I grew up in church all my life, and one of those expressions I heard a long, for a long time was, have you accepted Jesus as your personal Savior? And I understand that this is a personal decision that a person makes, but I came to the place that I said, no, no, but he is not my personal Savior. For the scripture says that he came to reconcile everything back to himself, put it all in right relationship, and to let his character flow through them so that it cannot be just contained in my heart. That's why Paul said, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus 
to do significant acts for the kingdom of God, which God has prepared in advance because he has woven this stuff in you. And when you walk into an opportunity or situation, there is a sensitivity of the heart that God has woven in you that says, you got to be here right now because I've given you the ability to let my power, let my presence, let my compassion explode into your neighbors and into other nations. I look around here and I see these pictures of all these folks that represent places that you are right now, not personally, but you have made it possible, and they are an extension of what God has been doing in your heart. That is our mission. You see, this is not just a missions week. This is a lifestyle. This is not a program. This is a refocusing on who God designed you to be with your friends next door and kids in El Salvador, and moms in the Philippines, and refugees in Ukraine. That's what God designed for you to do. Pam and I have some grandkids. Some live in Kansas City. Some live in Charleston, South Carolina. And Pam had gone out when we first moved to Springfield, Missouri, where Convoy of Hope is headquartered, and Pam had gone to Kansas City a couple hours away, to be with our grandkids, and how many of you know that, that grandkids just light up your life? You know that, huh? How many of you know that they also drain your life? <laughs> so she was coming back from being with them, and not only was she exhausted, but then you probably know this too, that your grandkids are good for giving you diseases you never know you needed. And so on the way back... She was about seven miles out of Springfield, Missouri from her home. She had the car on cruise control at 70 miles per hour on a state highway that had two lanes going one way, two lanes going the other, and a grass median in between, and roads would cross over that median to get people across to other parts of the county. As she was driving, because of her exhaustion and because of the sickness in her body, she fell asleep. The car began to, to move toward the median, went into the median, hit a sign dead center that kind of can't open the top of the car. And then she hit the culvert of one of those roads coming across, and the car flipped up in the air and spun in the air a couple of times and landed on its tires. When it hit, Pam woke up, woke up and, and, and at that moment she had this enigma. Enigma means a mystery. And that mystery was, how did I get here? And, and how do I get out of this? She wanted to check to see if she, she was, was cut because she, there was glass everywhere. And she reached up to, to grab the vanity mirror on the visor. And she, she, she started to pull it down, but she couldn't because there was nothing there. A nurse who had been following her parked the car, ran down into the median. Pam was able to force the door open. And the nurse looked at her and said, I didn't expect to find anybody alive in this car. Fire department arrived. They put her in an ambulance. They took her to the hospital. She called me. I was in Phoenix, Arizona at the moment. And she said, I'm in an ambulance. And I thought, well, something happened to my 88-year-old mother. And she said, no, 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 it's me. And I said, well, what happened? So she told me. I got on a plane. I flew home. I was home the next day. They kept her in the hospital for three days to try to figure out how she was and, and what damage had, had come as a result of this flip over. And on the third day, they came in and they said simply this. They said, you have no head trauma, you have no neck trauma, you have no broken bones, you have no bruises, you have no cuts. You are fine. And 
Because she was asleep during the accident, she had no psychological damage because she never saw it happen. So we recommend that if you're going to be in an accident, sleep. <laughs> it works much better. So she told me that when, when she had got her senses back and, and the nurse came and the nurse said, you look okay, Pam gave her her phone and said, take pictures, take pictures. So here's one of those pictures. So that, there she is talking probably to the fire department. And as I looked at it, I began to cry. Not because it was our car. It was actually my mom's car. I was okay with that. <laughs> but I began to cry. And if I take the, the second shot, you may not be able to read it, but the, the name of the fire company that respond is Ebenezer, which in the Old Testament means, means this, thus far the Lord has been with you. That when we face the possibility of being helpless, there is this wonderful thing about walking with God that says, I have been with you and I will continue to be with you. Jared is a preschooler and he had a horrible nightmare. And he awakened and he, he, he wanted to, to run into his, his parents' room to try to, to calm down and to, to, to get control and Finally, he mustered up enough courage to jump out of bed because he was afraid of those monsters that are under the bed. He got into the room where his parents were, and he woke up his dad. His dad said, what's going on? And he said, well, I've just had this nightmare, this dream, and he's crying. His dad listens, and his dad just hugs him real close and says, okay, we're going to talk to Jesus, and he's going to take care of you. And so they pray about the monsters and the dream, and they get done, and his dad says, okay, you feel better? He goes, oh, I feel better. And he said, okay, so now you go back to your bed. He said, no, not going back. He said, well, we've talked to Jesus, and, and he's with you, and he will be with you in your room. In fact, Jesus will be with you in your bed. And Jared said, how about you go sleep with Jesus? I'm sleeping with Mommy. When we get to that spot where we face immense challenges and we know we need help, the only thing that will give us rest is to know that the one who holds us is stronger than our fears. Paul, knowing that, wrote to the church at Corinth, and he said this, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known, so now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Let's break it down. For now we see in a mirror dimly. The word is enigma. I don't know how I got in this, and I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. I would like to face this challenge, this, this, this thing I'm helpless in. I'd like to face it and have the courage to, to defeat it, but I have no idea how to do that because I only know a little piece. I, later I could figure out some more, but right now I need help now. And Paul said this, but there is one who knows you fully. He knows how you got into it, and he knows how you will get out of it. Paul then goes on to express three of those qualities that are woven into our hearts that give us the ability to be helped in the times that are really tough for us. He says, 
first of all, that he's going to give us a presence stronger than our fears. He was an evil man. He was a violent man. He was an abusive man. He was a criminal. And, for the, and he met Jesus the first time on the day he was dying. Because it was the day that Jesus was also dying. Both of them were experiencing this Roman mechanism of torture called crucifixion. Where you die of suffocation and immense muscle cramps. And it's a horrible, horrible way to die. He looks to his left and there is Jesus feeling the same thing that he is feeling. And this guy, in the midst of this cacophony of immense sound of, of, of people screaming and hollering and abusing. And in this torture. And in this pain. And in this fear. He looks to Jesus and he thinks, he's got the same thing happening here. But, but there's something different there than here. There, there is a presence there that is, is other. And if he had the word, he could have said holy, that there's just something other there than here. I feel helpless, but he seems to not need help. He hadn't been baptized, but he felt immersed in a presence. He hadn't followed Jesus, but somehow he felt Jesus had followed him to that very point. He had cursed Jesus, but Jesus was going to be blessing him. And in the middle of all that, he says, I can do this or I can do that. I choose that. That's called faith. Why? The psalmist said it well. He said, God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in time of trouble. God is our safe place. That no matter what we face, there is this place to go that you feel safe, even if the circumstances have not changed. We sang about it during worship today. That even when we feel overwhelmed and we think we're going to just go under, we can stay on top of it because there is this safe place. For God is our strength. God is our safety. That word strength, it just really means the ability to be able to say, I can get through this thing. I don't know how I will get through that. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Those that bind themselves and intertwine themselves by faith into the presence of God can mount up with wings as eagles. So the eagle does not fight against the storms that come in, but instead sets its wings and rides the thermals to go above the clouds into the sun. That you will find woven within you this presence of God as you sit in his presence and as you soak in him the ability to say that I can soar above this thing I face right now. My father used to say to me, he was a mentor, he used to say, when you don't have peace, just go sit with Jesus. Just listen to worship music and just try to focus on him and meditate on him and soon you'll discover that there is this faith that grows in you because the relationship is there. You will mount up with wings as eagles. You will run and not grow weary. There are moments that I have run away from the thing that has frightened me, and I keep running and running, and in that moment I recognize that God was running with me and not letting me become exhausted, even the process of running away, that he was walking, uh, running with me, and eventually as I recognized his presence, I began to slow down, I began to walk with him, and he said, if you do that, you will run and not grow weary, and you will walk and not faint. That is faith. 
But it is not just enough that what has been woven into me be for my own personal use because it's much more powerful than that. That when I see someone who is helpless and I move in close to them, this amazing thing happens because when I have been soaking in Jesus, you take a sponge and you put it in a bucket of water this morning and you pull it back out and you squeeze it, what do you get out? You get water. You don't get Gatorade. You don't get Diet Dr. Pepper. You get water because you give out what you've been soaking in. So that when someone in Ukraine, have someone else up walk next to them and say, I'm going to walk with you through this whole mess you're walking through. And when they get squeezed by the fear of what's happening, they give out fear because that's what they've been soaking in. But if you're walking close to them, what you give out is safety. And you give out strength. And you give out what the psalmist called an ever-present help in time of trouble, which means that which has been tested, tried, and is true, it works and never fails. Sometimes, sometimes you have to have hope before you get God. Sometimes you have to be with someone who walks with you and they are the essence of hope to you. And when you are with them, that hope starts to come and you realize, wait a minute, what's that that's coming from them? What's exuding from them? And you recognize it is a presence of the Almighty who has not left you behind. Check out this story. In 2021... Convoy of Hope empowered 37,000 women and girls. We provide seed capital and education to start businesses. All over the world, we have vocational training opportunities where skills in culinary arts, sewing, agriculture, cosmetology, and information technology unlock doors for women to thrive. We disciple girls and introduce them to true freedom. Mothers are given vitamins and education to ensure their infants are healthy. But sometimes, hope comes in unusual ways. In Europe, behind the beautiful buildings and architecture is another world. Women from places like Nigeria, Romania, and Brazil are enslaved. Some were abducted and smuggled. Others were sold by their parents in order to provide food for the rest of the family. Our team has met some who have fled the war in Ukraine desperate to find hope, only to be deceived. What began as a promise for employment turned into a life of utter hopelessness and darkness. At Convoy, we not only serve those in poverty who are seen, but we also serve those who we find. This is what God is like. The Good Shepherd leaves the 99 to find the one. These women suffer in poverty and sometimes all it takes is a little hope. One of the women in our programs was given a box of hope while she worked in the brothel. It is a miracle that our team is given access to some of these places. Something like a bar of soap, some hand lotion, chapstick, pure drinking water, a few healthy meals can make the difference in someone's life. When she received the box, she thought to herself, there are still kind people in the world. The subtle glimpse of hope gave her the courage to risk her life and flee. Now, she is part of Convoy's Women's Empowerment Program and receiving healing. When she was asked what hope is, she replied, hope is the last thing you lose. When we walk up close to someone who needs help, 
and we bring a presence of God with us. We provide a hope that tells them that they have a future that will outlast their pain. You see, for us to lean deeply into Matthew 28, to go into all the world and let people know who Jesus is, we must first internalize Matthew 25. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was in prison and you came to me. As you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. Hal Donaldson, as a child, went through poverty after the death of his father by a drunk driver, and he decided he'd never be in that kind of poverty ever again, and so he wanted to leave it far behind. He became a successful sports writer and an author. He went to do a book on uh, some folks in Calcutta that were working on, with, with, with kids in the street and people that were, were dying in the street, and they said, you need to f- have a meeting with the person who's influenced us, and so he found himself in an interview with Mother Teresa. And then she interviewed him. And she said, Hal, what are you doing for the poor and suffering? Hal said, you know, I, I figured you can't lie to Mother Teresa. So I just said, I'm doing nothing. And she said, Hal, everybody can do something. Just go do the next kind thing God puts in front of you. You may not be able to feed 100, but you can feed one. Hal came back to the United States, grabbed his two brothers loaded up Hal's pickup truck and began to feed migrant workers in Northern California. And what began with three brothers in a truck in 1994 now is a compassion movement working through the local church, having served now over 200 million people, having delivered billions, two billions dollars worth of supplies to people in need. Because... Hal learned, you just do the next kind thing God puts in front of you. See, the third thing that Jesus weaves into us is a heart that eclipses our plans. God said to the prophet Jeremiah, I, I, I'm going to take you when I, when I connect with you, and I'm going to take that hardness of your heart, a heart of stone, a hardness against God and a hardness against other people who have needs, and instead I'm going to make a, a heart of flesh where you will be able to, to hear the needs of other people and respond to it. Mother Teresa said, you do it this way, you do the next kind thing God puts in front of you. The psalmist said, just let them know that he's an ever-present help in time of trouble. I would tell my congregation that we don't feed the hungry, so they come to Jesus, we feed the hungry because we came to Jesus. It's our DNA. It's who we are. So here's what I've learned. If you you don't hear anything else today, hear this. If this is going to work with Jesus doing what he's doing inside of us, the only way it works is this. Don't miss the moment. I was walking into a convenience store, and this was after I had left the last pastorate and began working for Convoy of Hope, and I had dealt with a lot of people who said they had needs, and, and they were shysters, and they were, they were crooked, and they, they, they lied. And so I began to get this callousness about me, this suspicion when someone was in need. And I walked, I walked into this convenience store, and there was this guy sitting out front. Obviously, he was homeless, and he had two dogs, and the Spirit of God in the heart that he's weaving in me said, now, this one. So I asked the guy, I said, you hungry? He said, like, well, he looked at me like I was stupid. 
well, yeah, kind of. I said, what do you want in there? He said, get me whatever. I'll eat anything. I said, what about your dogs? He said, I'll, they'll eat what I eat. Just get it. So I went in and loaded up sandwiches and good stuff like donuts and 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 cookies and stuff that's really important and and handed that to him. And then I just said, hey, here you go. God cares for you. You say, did he give his heart to Jesus? No. But that wasn't my job that day. My job was to bring the presence of Jesus to him, and Jesus will take care of him the remainder of the steps, but I had to be ready. When Pam and I started a church in Boise, Idaho, there were several families, and a new girl came in to, to join with us, and one day, and I noticed she, she was by herself, and I thought she wasn't married, but she had kids, and I thought she was a single mom, and she said to me one day, she said, will you go see my husband, Keith? I said, well, where is he? She said, well, he's in the Idaho State Penitentiary. Now, you've got to know me. I'm not a prison type of guy. I don't even have a tattoo. I'm not sure they let you in without one. And I thought, I'm not the guy to go in and do that. You need somebody like Brandon size to go in there, not, not, not me. And the heart of God said, this moment, don't miss it. So I went in and I, I, I went through all the process and through all the doors opening and closing and into the chapel. And I met Keith there and a hardened guy, really hardened. He was in for armed robbery. He, he was a mess. And we started talking about Jesus, and he asked questions about Jesus. And, and I would go in every month and meet him. And every time I was just, God, I'm not the guy for this. I, just, I don't want to do this. Uh, you, you, you need to have somebody that streetwise. I, I, I'm not even housewise. I just, I'm, I'm not good. I can't do this. Just before Pam and I left Boise to, to move on to a new assignment, Keith got out. And, and so I contacted him and said, hey, let's meet at Burger King and and so, so we talked to Burger King, and, and we're talking about it. He's telling me how tough it's going to be outside of where he's been and, and to get to places because he has no transportation, and he's supposed to get a job and check in with his parole officer and the whole list of things. And I'm sitting there. The Spirit of God, that's what was woven inside of me, said this. Give him your car. Now, this was the car that we were going to sell, use the down payment to get a better car. And he said, and God says this. So I'm arguing with God while I'm talking to, to Keith. And, and I'm saying, if this is God, I want to speak to Holy Spirit. I just, there's somebody else that I can talk to. Then I had this brilliant idea. I'll go home and tell Pam, and she'll say, you're nuts. So I went home and told Pam, and she said, well, give him the car. I said, I don't like you. <laughs> so I called him up. Had the pink slip, and I said, here you go. You get the car. He said, why? Because Jesus wants you to have this. He said, I can't believe it. Inside, I said, I can't believe it either. <laughs> so we gave him the car, and, and, and I've been around enough word of faith people. I thought in my head, I'm going to give this guy this older car, and I'm going to get an Audi from God. It's just what's going to happen. You know what I got? Nothing. A couple years later... Cindy calls, and she says, Jack, I know you haven't been up to date on with Keith, and he fell through the cracks, and he's been convicted of a double homicide, and he's been sentenced to death, and he wants you to come be his spiritual advisor and walk him through his execution. I said, God, I'm not that guy. God said, don't miss that moment. He was going to be executed on a Wednesday in January, and I went in November, and he was behind the glass 
window and we had phones and we were talking and he told me about how he had he had been complaining about all the things that had happened to him in life and Jesus met him there and showed him his life and said you made all these choices and so he said this is all my fault and I said yeah but now you can be forgiven he said okay let's do that so Pam and I went back on a Monday before the Wednesday at midnight that he's supposed to be executed and she hung out with the families of the family Keith's family and and I went in and, and sat with him and we walked through his life and his stories and and talked about all sorts of things and we came back to Tuesday night and as we're getting closer to to the execution time I said Keith you ever had communion he said never so he said to the to the guard hey we need some grape juice and some bread and he came back with a dinner roll and snapple and that works and so he had his first communion one of the things that was a problem with Keith is that he hated the victim's parents and family because they caused so much trouble for him. That's what he thought. That's how convoluted his thinking was. And all of a sudden, after communion, he said, I, I need to tell the family I'm sorry. So we asked for a phone, and I called a, new, a news anchor there in Boise, Idaho, and, and, and said, hey, uh, and it was midnight, almost midnight, I said, hey, D, this is Jack, and, and I got Keith Wells on the phone. And he said to her, can you ask the victims, the family, to forgive me? And she said, I'll do that. And then he, he looked at me, and he had this blank look on his face, and he's on the phone, and he hung up. He said, she prayed for me. I don't even know her. They came and got him. We went out this door into this trailer, and they put him on a, on a gurney thing with, with his hands, arms out like this and put the IVs in him. And then as it got close to midnight, he, um, the warden walked up and said, keep him, keep him calm. He's, Senator Dale O'Connor has just contacted all the Supreme Court, and they're deciding whether to put a stay to the execution. And so for 30 minutes, we processed, and we, we talked about Psalm 23, and we talked about hunting, talked about his family. And then the warden came up and said, Jack, go back now with the witnesses. And we went back to the witnesses, and the curtain opened up, and there was, was Keith. And then they announced why he was dying, and then they asked him, what are your last words? Now, the night before when I said, Keith, what are your last words going to be? He said, I'm going to flip him the bird. I said, well, let's, let's talk about that. Let's just, this. I said, Keith, what are your last words? And he said this, into your hands I commit my spirit. And Keith died. Next morning we had a funeral in an undisclosed location. Pam and I drove back to Oregon from Boise, and on the way back, I said, i got to tell you something. I've been trying to find my identity in a lot of things, in sports, in grades, in big church. And I just realized what God put in here was I'm supposed to help bring people, help them from death to life. And I could die today knowing I actually did what he had designed for me in the very beginning to do. Nothing else mattered except that compassion. A couple weeks later, Cindy called and she said, by the way, do you know why Keith wanted you to be a spiritual advisor? I said, I have no idea. He said, because you gave him your car. And I thought, I didn't want to give him my car. <laughs> what if I had missed the moment? So I simply want to say to you today, this is more than a week of mission.
because your mission is to communicate Jesus through incredible compassion because you are living word. So just from here on, just go do the next kind thing God puts in front of you. And I would say, if you know that Jesus is going to do that through you, then start putting aside some funds. It could be a dollar, it could be ten dollars, it could be a hundred dollars, it could be a thousand dollars, so that God can say to you, now help this person, and it's there. And, and start getting your schedule in a spot where you have space. If someone's in need, you can say, I can come over there and help put windows in your house while your husband's in the, in the, in the hospital. Just go do the next kind thing God puts in front of you. Because the world needs to know. Help us on the way. God bless you. I don't know if you're like me, but I think missions is so much more than just thinking about another country, right? I think sometimes we get that into our mind that missions is about something that is far off and it doesn't really... You know, does, does it really affect me? Does it really affect my heart? And really what missions is just seeing beyond myself. And it, because we're all selfish in one way or another, right? We want the comforts. We want all that stuff. But missions is really seeing beyond ourselves. And what Jesus tells us, he says to look out. He tells his disciples, look, look at the harvest field. Just look at it. it it's ripe. It's ready for harvest. So whether whatever God has gifted you, that's how he wants you to reach the harvest field. And it could be in simple, tangible ways of just showing love for somebody in practical ways of helping them because you're looking beyond yourself. And that's really what missions is. It's looking beyond yourself to a world that Jesus loves and cares for. And you might think today, you may think, well, Pastor, I've made so many bad decisions in my life. And and maybe you're here today or maybe you're watching online and you feel that hopelessness because of maybe decisions that you've made. But there's hope in Christ. And that's where we find forgiveness. And that's why he came, to reconcile us back to a right relationship with God the Father. And so our job is as ministers of reconciliation is to reconcile a world back to a right relationship with God, the father. And we do that through love and compassion seen beyond ourselves. So my prayer for you is that your heart would just be more open, that you would see your neighbor, maybe in a different way. You would see your coworker instead of seeing them as a project or an inconvenience or an irritation See them as someone that Jesus loves. And how can I reach them with your love? So Jack says, once Christ is in the fabric of your heart, it changes you from stop looking inward to looking outward. And that's my prayer for our church, is that God would continue to open our hearts and expand our hearts to look at our world, not as a problem, And it's so easy to do that in our day and age. But a world that Christ gave his life for. And he uses us to change that. Amen? Amen. I want to pray for Convoy of Hope and for Jack and Pam as they travel and and share their heart 
of missions, and I'm so glad they came today. What a great, great word today. We needed to hear that today. I needed to hear that today. And we want to give. We want to give to, to Convoy and just bless the ministry. So as Pastor Brandon mentioned before, you can text to give. If you write a check, write to Living Word, just put Convoy on the memo, or you can give online under the missions tab, under the notes. There, just put Convoy, and all those will go to help bless what God is doing through and in Convoy of Hope around the world. I'm so glad we're partnering with them and uh, and, and seeing what God is doing. Uh, through them and in them. I'm very thankful for that. So would you pray with me? And let's pray a couple things. Uh, let's pray that God would open our heart, that God would give you, when you see that opportunity, that you would take that step of faith and do what God has called you to do. And that you would take that that sheet that we gave you with all the the missionaries that we support, that you would use that to pray for them and just say, God, use them mightily and and lift them up before the Lord as you lift yourself up before the Lord in the ways that God wants to use you. So would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for this word today. We needed to hear it. Thank you, Lord, that you came for people, that you love people, and we are messed up people. We needed a Savior. And Lord, I pray that you would melt our hearts, that, Lord, you would expand our hearts, that that, Lord, it's so easy, and we all do it. We just get involved in our own worlds and our own issues and our own problems, and it's easy just to, to, to just ignore what's going on around us or just to complain about it and not do something about it. But, Lord, change our hearts that, that we wouldn't just point out the problems, but, Lord, we would be part of the solution as you use us to meet those needs around us. So we thank you for what you're doing in and through Convoy, Lord. We pray you would continue to meet their needs and their resources. We pray a blessing just over Jack and Pam as they continue to, to travel and, and just share the heart of Convoy. Thank you for their lives, Lord. So we thank you most of all for Jesus and what he has done for us. We are so grateful for that. So, Lord, just move in our hearts once again. Give us a heart for those around us. We love you. We thank you. And we want to be careful to ask all these things in Jesus' wonderful name. In Jesus' wonderful name. And all God's children said, can we thank the Lord? Can we thank him today for his word today? Amen. Amen. Amen.